Good morning. Please open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, our text this morning is verses 26 through 34. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples He explained everything. Lord, we praise you this morning for your word. We praise you that we can come and open it together because we know that it is truth. Lord, what we know not, teach us this morning through your word. Humble us. Let us be learners of your word, hearers of your word, and doers of your word, that we may be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, I pray that your spirit speaks this morning through the preaching of the word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you are a history student at all of the history of the Protestant Reformation, you may be aware that upcoming in the spring is the 500th anniversary of the Diet of Worms, where Martin Luther stood before Johann Eck, and was asked to recant his writings against the Roman Catholic Church. Reformation had already started and had been going on for several years. As you know, he nailed his 95 theses to the door in 1517, I believe, if my dates are correct. And so 1521, coming up in the spring, is that date when he was asked to recant of his writings, many of them surrounded around faith alone for salvation, and ultimately the authority of Scripture above all else, above the Roman Catholic Church, above the Pope. So as you can imagine, there was a lot of hostility during this time. We know that history records that Luther did not recant of his writings, and his friends put him in a forced exile, so to speak. They ushered him away and hid him away for a year, and while he was gone, there was spark of Reformation going on there in Wittenberg. He returned a year later as not to be a martyr for the cause, and he spoke a very, or he preached a very famous sermon on March 10th, 1522, which alludes to our text this morning. You can imagine that Luther was a very popular individual. He was someone that was famous, probably looked upon as a hero of his time, Certainly much of the Reformation truths, the Protestant Reformation truths that we hold dear today came from his labors. 
But on March 10, 1522, Luther took the spotlight off of himself and put it on the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. Many of you might have heard these words before. If you haven't, you're in for a treat. If you have, this is a bit of a review. Speaking of the Word and its power, Luther says, The Word created heaven and earth and all things. I will preach it, tell it, write it, but I will constrain no one by force, for faith must come freely without compulsion. Take an example from me. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I taught, preached, and wrote God's word alone. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip Melanchthon and Nicholas von Amsdorf, two of Luther's closest friends in the Reformation, the word did so much that the papacy weakened in such a way that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. Friends, this morning we will look at two parables of our Lord Jesus Christ, where he paints a picture of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom grows. There are two main ideas I want you to take away from this. First, in the parable of the seed growing, I want you to see that there is power power in the growing kingdom through the word of God. Next, I want you to see in the parable of the mustard seed that we as Christians should have confidence in kingdom growth. In the first parable, we will look at the kingdom on a micro level, something that is very small. And on the second parable, we will look at kingdom growth in the macro level, which is a fancy word for something very large. Finally, we're going to conclude as we examine and assess Who are the citizens of the kingdom? As we close with Mark's words, as Jesus begins to wind down his parabolic ministry here in chapter 4 for a stage of transition. And I think that we'll see that Luther's words, as he spoke them almost 500 years ago, will resonate in our passage. That we do nothing, but the word does everything. Let's examine our text first in verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Something simple enough, but I think before we move forward, obviously the kingdom of God is central here in this passage. Both 26 says, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if. And verse 30, The kingdom of God is like. So we're describing what the kingdom of God is, and my point this morning is not to give a full orb description of what the kingdom looks like, because that would take a whole sermon series in itself. But I do want to look in the context of the gospel of Mark thus far, where we've been, what we see about the kingdom of God that Jesus is describing here this morning. First thing I want you to see is that the kingdom of God is a present reality. If you take your scripture and turn back probably one page in your Bibles, maybe two, back to Mark chapter 1, we see John the Baptist preparing the way for the Lord, preparing the way for the king to come in, heralding in, prepare the way of the Lord. He's heralding in a king as the last of the Old Testament prophets, preparing the people by baptism of repentance. We also see as we move on down, Jesus beginning his public ministry. 
after his baptism. He says, it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, Now when John had been arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Many look and describe the kingdom of God or something that might be in our minds as something that's just in the future, something tangible that we can put our hands on, that we can be a part of and see. And certainly that is the truth, that there is the kingdom of God that we'll see about today that grows over time. Certainly, it is something that's future, but it's also now, here and now, and was heralded in in the time of Christ. We see that throughout the Gospels. We see that Jesus' kingdom is something now. Turn over to Luke 17 quickly with me. We've already seen that Jesus has had discontent and skirmishes with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Mark, and obviously they didn't have a, the same picture of what they thought the kingdom of God should look like. Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Obviously, we know when Jesus was on trial before Pilate that he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So that's the first thing I want you to get in your, in your heads as we look at this passage, that the kingdom of God is a present reality. The second thing I want you to see is that the kingdom of God is not what the Jewish leaders expected. They expected someone to rule with the scepter of Judah from Genesis 49. They expected someone to sit on the throne of David and the covenant of David from 2 Samuel chapter 7, that he would sit on the throne and rule forever. Any good Jewish boy or any good Jewish leader worth their salt, would know Psalm chapter 2 by heart, certainly. Let's take a moment and look at Psalm chapter 2. I'm going to skip around a little bit in Psalm chapter 2, but starting in the beginning, how would the Jews have viewed the kingdom of God? Starting in verse 1, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Skipping down to number 6, verse 6, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You shall break, verse 9, them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Kiss the son, verse 12, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Friends, this morning I want to tell you that the kingdom is here and now, and that a lot of the Jewish leaders missed what was going on. They did not understand, or maybe they just didn't want to perceive that Jesus was supposed to come the first time as a suffering servant, as we hear about in Isaiah, that he was come to serve. Yes, he will come again in the future, and he will break off the cords, and he will overthrow rulers, but that was not his purpose in the first coming. His purpose was come to come to walk on the earth as a man born of a woman, truly God and truly man, 
and to save sinners, to serve them, and to suffer for them. So, in the context of Mark, that's where we're at in the kingdom. Just two simple items I want you to keep in your mind right now. The kingdom is a present reality, and it's not what the Jewish leaders would have expected. They would have expected a king to come to vindicate them, and to vindicate them from their overseers, from the Roman powers that surrounded them. The next thing I want you to see in this first verse is the seed itself. We've already taken a look at, look at this in the parable of the sower. This is the parable of the growing seed, not to be confused with the parable of the sower that Tim was talking about a couple of weeks ago. But our Lord gave us the key in that parable to be able to understand these parables in the future. He said, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand the other parables? And he told them that the seed was the word of God. In Mark 4, 14. No explanation is given for either one of these parables, and we don't know if it was given. It might likely not have been needed. But the seed is something that is very ordinary. It is something that they would know and understand in their society. But the Lord tells them that the seed that they understand is also the Word of God. Verse 27, He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. So the Lord is painting this picture of the kingdom as a man should scatter seed and sleep night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. The first thing that I want you to see here is that there is absolutely no mention of the farmer's labor. The seed just grows over time. It's something that is hidden. It's something that is buried in the ground. You can't take a seed and bury it in the ground and go over every day or every couple of hours and dig it up and say, has it sprouted yet? It's not going to grow. It's not going to bring forth growth or fruit. It's something that you put in the ground and you cannot see. In that sense, it's a mystery because we don't see what's going on beneath the surface. The kingdom of God is like a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises and knows not how it grows. The earth produces by itself. This is an interesting phrase whenever you see something like that looks strange, like something how we wouldn't say it in English. The earth produces by itself. That just means that there's likely one Greek word going on behind this, and our translators have tried to just figure out the best way to make it sound. And in this sense, the word is automate, where we get our English word automatic. Acting without instigation or intervention. Taking place on its own. The farmer has no power to make this work. He just sows the seed. It grows on its own. Interestingly, the only other place that I can find that this word is used in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 12, where Peter is arrested by Herod, and you might recall the angel comes in, and his shackles fall off, and he leaves and sneaks by the four squads of guards, and he leaves, and as he's leaving the city, there's a gate there, and what happens? The gate opens on its own, right? Seemingly on its own. Automate. 
I don't really see any real link to that passage in our passage today, but I just want you to think for a second. There's something ironic going on here. Does anyone really think that that gate opened on its own? Does that gate have a soul? Does it think for itself? No. We would say, what opened that gate? The power of God, right? Opened that gate. Similarly, I think something ironic is going on here. The earth produces by itself, really? I mean, is that how it's going? Is that what's going on here? No, the power of God is behind the growth that is going on in the seed. The Word of God, the powerful Word of God. So the farmer sleeps, the seed grows by itself, And then we see the growth. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The stress here is on gradual progression of growth as the harvest comes forth in steps. It's not something that we plant a seed and then tomorrow we see a watermelon. It's not going to happen like that. There's going to be a small bit of growth. There might be seasons where there's more growth than others. But we know right now we're talking about good soil, right? If we think back to the parable of the sower, the growth comes with the good soil. So we're talking about kingdom growth only in good soil by the power of the Word of God, that there will be fruit, there will be a blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. This is an encouragement to us as the church that where the the seed is sown, God will bring forth growth. There's no question about it. It will happen. 1 Corinthians 3, a well-known verse, you know this, it says, I planted, this is Paul speaking, I planted, Apollos watered, but God brings forth the growth. We can take this to the bank. There's no question about it. But when the grain is ripe at once, he comes and puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Verse 29 is a continued promise from verse 28. It will finish what begins. Certainly when we see the word sickle, um, I discussed this with Pastor Tim earlier this week, is that we always think of the grim reaper or some type of judgment language. And I do believe that there's some type of link here to the coming day of the Lord in judgment in the future, but that's not the emphasis here. The emphasis here is an encouragement for the church that if we sow the seed, we will see the growth. A harvest is a good thing. And those who sow the seed, who are faithful and go to sleep and rely on the Lord, we will see those converted to Christ. We will see those grow in Christ. It will happen. This is not necessarily a passage about eschatological judgment. We will share in the harvest and the Lord will be glorified as those turn to him and grow. He will be glorified. And we will join in with that harvest. We will be able to praise and glorify the Lord together in one voice, in a voice of unity. The harvest is a good thing. So how do we apply this short parable? God is powerfully at work in the preached word to build his kingdom. We should be humbled that we get to take part in being faithful to sow the word of truth. 
there's a couple of ways that I want to apply this. First of all, on an individual level. On an individual level, we don't have to sit back and wring our hands and say, you know, did I do a good enough job? Did I sow the seed the right way? Did I make a compelling argument? Am I going to be judged based on conversions to Christ? No, absolutely not. That's not going to happen. We're not going to be judged based on conversions. We are to be faithful sowers of the word and not worry about it. If you have loved ones who are not saved, family members, sow the seed. If you have friends, coworkers, sow the seed. Be a faithful farmer. Sow the seed and trust in the Lord that he will bring the growth and build his kingdom. Romans 1, 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to all who believe. On a corporate level, on a church level, we need to understand that we don't need to market the word. We don't need to market the word of God. We don't have to have special advertisements. The word does the work on itself. There's many businesses out there that have marketing models, advertising models, We see it all the time. 20 years ago, businesses would take a certain amount of money set aside and they would, everyone would have their advertising budget and they would put it in TV or magazines. And now in 2020, most people take their dollars that they want to market and they put it in Facebook or social media or texting. I'm sure I'm not the only person that's received a text recently to tell me which candidate to vote for in the upcoming election. But that's how businesses work. They take dollars and they put it into the market and they want to get something in return for it. If you put your money in something that doesn't give a return, that's, that's not good. That's stupid. You don't put your dollars in something that's not going to get a return. Friends, this morning I want to tell you that the faithful church and the church of God puts all of its dollars, so to speak, in the Word of God. We put all of our effort in the preached Word of God. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church where we put all of our eggs in one basket, a basket that can't fail, that brings forth growth. Let me ask you this morning, specifically members, I know there's many people here who are not members of this church, but those who are members here, and you know who you are, do you thank and praise the Lord that you are a part of a church that puts all of our eggs in the basket of the preached Word of God? You should thank Pastor Tim, Pastor Jesse, that we can come to a service where we hear the truth preached and don't rely on clever marketing schemes. I've been a part of churches that get involved in that. You probably have as well. That's not to say that we can't have programs and we can't have a website and we can't have music that we like to listen to, but we don't put our, we don't put our eggs there. We don't put our foundation there. We put it in the preached and taught Word of God. Let's turn to our next parable. We already spent enough time looking at the kingdom growth, the power of God on a micro level. Let's expand out a little bit.
And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. The primary stress in this parable is the contrast. It's not necessarily the seed itself. It's the contrast between the seed and the growing kingdom. It starts small. It gets big. It's a very simple parable. It is like a grain of mustard seed. This is not the only time that we see mustard seed in Scripture. Our Lord in Matthew 17 says, you know, faith as a mustard seed. That's why you can't heal the epileptic boy is because you don't have enough faith. It's tiny. I was doing a little bit of research on mustard seeds over the past couple of weeks. You can imagine in preparing for this, and they are tiny. They look like a little poppy seed except smaller. You can't even hold it in your fingers. It's something that's very small. It's proverbial in the world of Israel. For the Jewish person, it's something that they used often. I actually did a little bit of digging around in the Mishnah. If you don't know what the Mishnah is, um, that's okay. It's extra rabbinical writings of the law carried on oral tradition over time. It is not biblical. But in there, there are specific laws that they write out, oral laws, that you can plant a mustard seed in the field, but not in your garden close to your house because it gets too big. I have a I have a plant growing on the side of my house, and I was talking with my neighbor the other day, and he said, well, my friend had a, has a bush like that, and it's getting really big, and he said, that's going to tear up your foundation, and I said, really? And he's like, yeah, those things get big. It's going to tear up your foundation. You want me to bring some poison over, and we'll get rid of it? And I was like, well, let me think about it. Um, but the mustard seed is something small that gets very large. There's also other points in the Mishnah, something that they would have used often. We know that in the Old Testament that those who were unclean could not come before God, those who had a discharge. And the mustard seed in the Mishnah is used to measure a discharge. So if you were to have a discharge the size of a mustard seed, you would be considered unclean. It's something proverbial, like we would say, you're as slow as a snail, right? something that they would understand. The mustard seed is very small and common. Israel was a small corner of the world, a speck, really, compared to the greater earth, to compare to all the nations of the world. The Lord put it there strategically to be something small where his word would grow and his promises would take place and come forth through his covenants. We know this. If you take a look at the map, you could drive through Israel in no time. You could sit Israel inside many of the states of the United States, several of them. It's something small, the Lord is describing, but it's going to go big places. And we should have confidence in that. Like I said, this, this parable primarily stresses the contrast between the kingdom's insignificant start and its massive protective finish. As you see here, when it's sown, it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, verse 32, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. 
Don't be deceived by appearances. Not only is it going to be large, so it's going to be something very small. Not only is it going to be large, but it's going to be so large that there's going to be protection because of it. The mustard plant, the mustard bush itself, is not something that is extremely large, but it's large enough for birds to come and make nests. This is an image of protection and peace and shade. We know this very well, being Floridians, that there's nothing like getting under the shade of a tree on a hot day when it's 110 outside. This comes from Ezekiel chapter 17. I think it would be good for us to turn there briefly. Ezekiel 17. We see in this is a messianic prophecy that when the king comes to build his kingdom, this is what it's, it's going to be like. Ezekiel 17, starting in verses 22, Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from a lofty top of cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest, and all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. We see here the emphasis on the kingdom, on safety, on shade for those of the earth. Think back, this, this kingdom started with insignificant beginnings, with the Lord calling out Abraham and telling him to look up in the night sky. Look at the stars. Can you count them? Well, no, I can't count them. There's millions and billions of them up there. Look at those stars, Abraham. That is going to be your offspring. Through you, you will bless the Lord. You will bless the nations. Excuse me. You will be a blessing. Something small. Through the line of David, to a small country, to 12 disciples, 12 disciples that spread the word, of the, God, the word of the Lord. If you take a look at the Mediterranean in Jesus' time, it was all pagan, and 200 years later, the entire Mediterranean was surrounded and infiltrated by the gospel, thanks to the Apostle Paul and his ministry. The gospel grew to the West. Praise the Lord that we have the gospel here in the United States, and it grows today, even in Iran, even in China, places that persecution happens on a daily basis. The Lord here is telling us that no matter what, the kingdom is going to grow, and we should put our confidence in that. We will find peace and shade in this kingdom. To conclude, let's briefly examine this closing section that Mark includes here. This is Mark's transition passage before we move on to a new section in Mark. Verses 
With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. Verse 34, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. We know, first of all, that there were more parables that Jesus spoke. This specific discourse came out or uh, aligns with Matthew chapter 13, where there's more parables being taught there. But Mark picked out these specific specific parables and specifically focused on the kingdom of God as we see this theme running through Mark at this time. He had a specific purpose for it. He spoke to them. That's a word that you want to underline there. Who is the them that he's speaking to? We know that the parable of the sower, he spoke to the crowd and that he explained it privately to his disciples And then both of these parables just say, and he said, and he said. With many such parables, he spoke to them. I believe that this was spoken to the crowd. We don't know who believed. We don't know who heard, because it says, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So this is kind of where I want to land the plane here in the next few minutes. And that is asking this question who are the citizens of the kingdom? I think that it's clearly spelled out here in these verses. The citizens of the kingdom are those who are able to hear. We know that not all are hearers of the word. Certainly, you can listen to me speak this morning, and you can hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, but we all do not have our ears tuned to the gospel The citizens are those who are able to hear. And praise the Lord that we hear these words today and that we can come to salvation through them, through Christ. Mark's point is that Jesus often addressed them with these parables, even though they may be hard to understand. Outsiders were left to fend for themselves, while the disciples had a benefit of private explanation. When we look back at Mark chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but as we look back and think back to Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe. Repent and believe in the gospel, Jesus says, the good news. Those who are citizens of the kingdom are those who hear the word and repent and believe in the power of the gospel. Believe in Christ. And if we do that, he is faithful to forgive us. We know it, it, it is His work. It's not something that we can do. But I will say this, that the Lord is merciful, kind, and gracious to us. And if you cry out to the Lord in repentance and belief, you can be a citizen of the kingdom. Are you a member of the kingdom of God? Are you a citizen? How do you get in to the kingdom of God? You know, that's a question that you may ask yourself. John chapter 3, in Jesus' discourse with Nicodemus, you know, says, truly, truly, John 3, 3, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This morning, friends, 
We should be sowers. And we should trust God for the growth. But he is faithful to forgive those who repent and believe. Is he giving you ears to hear this morning if you've not had them previously? Because when the Lord does come again, when he does further his kingdom, he will come and bring wrath on those who are not citizens of the kingdom. In the future, all tribes, all tongues, of all people, the kingdom will grow, will bow down before the Lord, but he will have wrath on those who are not citizens of the kingdom. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, walked this earth, fulfilled all righteousness, was mocked, scorned, and beaten for our sins. If you do not understand this, let someone know. Come talk to Pastor Jesse, Pastor Tim, myself, because we want you to be adopted into this kingdom and be a co-heir with Christ, our brother, and serve him more each day. Remember that faith, salvation, is something that we can't see. It's something that's hidden. It's something that manifests itself through the Holy Spirit, and then we see the growth when it's in good soil, when the seed takes root. I want to close with these words um, from Daniel Whittle, 19th century lyricist and hymn writer. It's a hymn I sung as a child. I think applies to our sermon this morning. It says, I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you this morning for your word, your truth that you have given to us. How good it is that you grow your church, you grow us individually, you get the glory for it, and that we can be citizens of this great kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, where he is king, where he sits on the throne currently, but where we know and have confidence that you will bring it to fruition. It is imminent. It is coming. It will happen. Sooner than we all expect. We thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and we trust in him for salvation alone. We thank you for your word, and we ask that we would be a faithful congregation to continue to preach and teach your word, because we know that it has the power that is needed. Lord, we give you the glory this morning in all things. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.